What's up Pacers fans? I'm Corey Joseph and here's my favorite Pacers analysis, the Sideline Guys podcast. This is the All-Star Break edition of the Sideline Guys podcast. We've hit the week off here in mid-February. Alongside Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan, and it comes at a time for the Pacers. You were asking, I think, a kind of interesting question going into the game on Wednesday, which was, is this coming at a bad time? You've lost six, in, you at the time had won six in a row, had the Bucks coming up. Do you maybe not want a break when you're playing well? And this all-star break, it comes at a time when the Pacers have won six of their last seven, and I think for a good chunk of that game, had to be really happy with how they played against Milwaukee, and then things in the final five, six minutes really just kind of came unraveled a bit. But it's kind of an interesting, I don't know, juxtaposition is the right word of Overall, you're playing really well. Overall, you would have absolutely taken six out of seven. There is a little bit, I think, of sourness just with the way that Milwaukee game ended because I think when you're up by 10 with nine minutes or so to go, you say, okay, worst case scenario, you're going to give yourselves a shot at the end to win it. And that didn't happen. Milwaukee went on a huge run to end it. Ultimately, that's the team with the best record in the NBA. That's a team that didn't lose its star to a season-ending injury. And the Pacers overall are playing great headed into this All-Star break. But your thoughts, I guess, as we are here and the Pacers have, you know, about two-thirds of their schedule played. I think it is a good time for the break. And I, I was debating whether even to ask someone this because it's any player would sit there and say, yeah, I'm looking forward to a break. But the team felt like over the last week and a half they really gelled. And if you'd asked me this when I was sitting in Miami thinking about what direction this team could go, I would have thought, can the All-Star break be right now because – this team is tired. They need a break. Different guys look like they were a little worn out. I can remember specifically worrying, and now I'm silly for even thinking that. I was worrying about DeMontis Sabonis uh, because he had like two or three games where he didn't convert the basket at a 70% rate, and and he showed that was just about a week situation that he was dealing with, and he's back to being the old DeMontis, but I get sidetracked here. I think that the break is good for everyone. I think that they go to the break with a good amount of confidence, knowing this season can still be something special. The four-game losing streak caused everyone to maybe, you know, second-guess outside of the organization. I think even inside the locker room, there may have been a little bit of doubt. You get a little bit of a boost just from a this team is still together. The franchise, the front office still believes in us by the acquisition of Wesley Matthews. And you also saw, I think, the last two games, the second unit that we started the season saying maybe this would be one of the base, one of the best Pacers bench units in recent memory. And you saw signs of that against Charlotte and even against Milwaukee. I thought the bench played pretty well. Some unusual combinations in that game. Um but I do think it's at a good time. I do want to apologize early in this podcast because Kristen Airy, during the course of a broadcast, will uh, his chart has so many numbers on it, records win, and I'm not sure how he accused me, but when the game ended, he looked at me and said, it's your fault. And this is because it's, and I'm going to say it's your fault. Yeah, Pat. but I didn't <laughs> ask you to say it. It's- no, so it's not really your <laughs> fault because I do think that you often uh, – Say some of these stats after the after the game is over, so there can be no jinx. But anyways, I looked at you, and the first thing I thought of when the Pacers took a ten point lead is the <laughs> stat you've been sharing on Twitter, where and it's a remarkable stat. If the Pacers have a ten point lead, they were thirty three and one. Yeah, 
33 and 1, which is best in the NBA. It's remarkable, though. I mean, it, in some ways it makes sense because many times you have a 10 point lead and you have a lead bigger than that. But I would think it's easy to get to a 10 point advantage at any point in the first quarter and it not really matter because you could be up by 10 in the first quarter and trailing at halftime. And then did it really matter that you had the 10 point lead? Right. That, that's what makes the stat, I don't know, it can be maybe a little arbitrary, but it makes the stat interesting in that you have versions of this where the Lakers game, for example, fits in that, where you get up by 10 pretty early and this game is out of reach from the opponent like mid-second quarter. And then you have games like last night where in reality it was you that was trailing by double digits too. So what's interesting also about that stat is not only do the Pacers, I'm almost positive, still have the best record in this even though they just lost one, they have a really good record when they get down by 10 also. And that would have been the case. Had <laughs> well, they have they a good record overall. Right. And that, that tends to happen uh, when you know you have a good record. <laughs> you win a lot of general. games. You win them different ways. In fairness to the Jinx thing, and I'm a little surprised our friends over at Pacers Reddit haven't brought this up yet, or at least they didn't. Don't give them any ideas. If they did. Uh, th- that was the first time I saw that stat posted there. And part of it was because I tweeted it. But I've tweeted this stat like three or four times, and I actually start this stat. Actually, I'm not giving enough credit to the originator of this, which is John Schumann, who's an NBA.com stats writer, and and he came up with that statistic. I want to say like December 20th, a little bit before Christmas, and at that point, the Pacers were like. I don't know, it was maybe right after the Toronto game. Whenever that Toronto game happened, uh, the Pacers had only lost once, and it was at the time like the second-best record in the NBA. And so I just said, this is interesting. I'm going to track it myself the rest of the way. So I've been I've been citing the stats since they've been like 19-1, and and they got all the way to 33-1 and before the quote-unquote jinx happened. And I would like to remind you, if anyone out there thinks I'm a jinx, that I was I was <laughs> announcing the Victor Oladipo consecutive steals streak from about 20 to 65 or whatever it ended up ended up going so I think uh now let I wasn't trying to accuse you at all I I was accepting blame only (laughs) the only blame I give you is for I guess pointing it out to me and and happened to be standing right beside you at the point (laughs) the Pacers took a 10-point lead and I had forgotten that at that time out first time out of the fourth quarter if Eddie Gill is there we always do a tease ahead to the postgame show, and I get one quick comment in with Eddie, and I wanted to listen to that huddle when the Pacers took a 10-point lead, and I was standing right beside you, at which point <laughs> producer Max Linewan said, um, go over to the corner and do your segment with Eddie. Yeah, you kind of took off. And I looked at you, and I saw the scoreboard, and I said, the Pacers are up 10. <laughs> and I didn't even They're 33-1. and one. That's Because immediately when I walked that direction, it's how can I very quickly get something to Eddie because there's not a lot of time and you don't want to talk over much of the action. But how can I kind of say something and get a comment out of Eddie? And I'm like, well, the Pacers are up 10 and they're 33-1 and when they've had at least a 10-point lead in a game. And it's the first time they've had a 10-point lead. But I felt really good walking over that corner because of that stat. I said it. And from that point on... The game uh, thirty to one, thirty to eleven run to finish is, I believe, the way uh, it went after the Pacers had the ten point lead. And Chris looked at me right before the post game show started, where I do the first segment on the court, and said, "It's your fault." <laughs> I was like, "Wait a second. I mean, you're the guy that references Boyan Bogdanovich's free throw percentage, and every time you do, that's when he, 
you know, misses a shot. But. See, Chris references – Chris is a stats guy. Chris references like 100 stats, and so he <laughs> references so many. Okay. That but maybe, I think may, Quinn no, does I'm, get on him occasionally when he will, while the ball is in a guy's hands at the free throw line, say his yeah. – he's made 10 of his last 11 free throws. And that's the one that's always noticeable because you right. see that. I mean, it just without fail at any point in any level – on any broadcast, when someone references a good free throw percentage, or I think even sometimes this guy's really struggling from the free throw line. He's shooting forty six percent over the last month, and swish swish. So I it's call not that confirmation quite the same. bias. But <laughs> but see, what I was saying in defense of you and what I do is, Chris throughout the broadcast is naming off so yeah. many different stats. You and I will name off a couple. So like when it's the one, then everybody you know. Comes jumping it's at definitely you, but... not your fault, and maybe as I think back, I didn't need to say it. I was just trying to steal. No, see, I, well, kind of I was trying to steal your smarts because I did think it was pretty cool, and the timing was such. If they were up by 15, I wouldn't have said at that point because they trailed the whole game, <laughs> and then they got the lead, and then all of a sudden it kind of was surprising to me they were actually up by 10 points. Yeah, maybe we would disagree with this here, but at least for me, if I've got what I feel like is a really good nugget – I'm not worried about that. And maybe maybe the fans who believe in hexes and jinxes are like, well, you know, you shouldn't say it at this point. And I get that, but I, I just think it's confirmation bias. And if I've got a good nugget, I'm going with it. And I've referenced that stat so many times <laughs> since John Schumann came out with it a month and a half ago or whenever that was. Um, and they they proceeded to go on and win those games. Right. And and let's talk about just how impressive that stat is. They're now 33-2, and two, which is really remarkable. And the two losses are Toronto and Milwaukee, the top two teams in the East, which, of course, you can, you can slant that in a way of those are the teams you really need to beat. And so for those to be the two that had happened, then that's really frustrating. And agree. But just think about the other night. Uh, I think it was uh, – was it Thursday night when Clippers? Boston lost oh. a – Maybe it was Monday. I'm confusing the the Boston losses. They, they lost, lost to the Lakers, Lakers and, the and the Clippers right after we had them. But one of them, they lost a 26 or a 28-point lead at home. That was the Clipper game. And somebody else lost a 26 or 28-point lead at home to somebody. Rockets Thunder. Yes, Rockets Saturday Thunder. Saturday night. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's – I don't want to say that happens all the time because that was an outlier. But, like, in the NBA, uh, like, 10-point leads aren't really safe. And a good example of last night, the Pacers had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and almost lost by double digits. I mean, in today's NBA, especially with teams that shoot the three well, 10 points can be eliminated in seconds. Now, 20-point leads and things like that are a little different. But even even uh, Boston's had a couple games like that. I mean, th- it's it's almost it's it's so frustrating when they happen, but it's almost like, look, you have to accept you're going to lose one or two of those this year. And the Pacers really haven't. Like, you can look to that Toronto game. Like, the Milwaukee game, it's frustrating to lose a 10-point lead with nine minutes left. But... You can also say they were down by 10. You can also say that Milwaukee had a better first half than Indiana and they closed better and deserved to win the game. So it's it's frustrating. I, I'm not saying it shouldn't be frustrating. But the Toronto game, they lost a 17-point lead in the second half. That's really, when you're at this point of the season, game 58, if that's the one only real example for me that you can point to and say, man, they really let one go, Everybody else in the league, most other teams in the league, are pointing to three or four examples. Boston can probably point to five or six examples. And so big picture, like that's a that's a major positive to me. It's a, it's it's disappointing to lose one and, and to lose to a team when you've won six in a row and that is ahead of you in the standings. But big picture, 33-2 and two is phenomenal in that regard. Something was going to change with the numbers and the records. At halftime, Milwaukee was 33-3, and three, I believe. 
when they have the lead at halftime and the Pacers were yeah. 8 and 15 when they trailed but then after 3 the Pacers are phenomenal when they have the lead because of Indiana's outstanding third quarter so one of those was going to change and I don't think I would come on if the game was 32-22 in the second quarter and say hey the Pacers they're going to win right. and, I, and I didn't say they were going to win either right. um so I just thought right. that was something to think about from that game that they did have that lead that's what made it a little disappointing but I'm curious your thoughts after the game ended and then as you wake up the next day, you can always – I feel like even though we are loosely part of the team, not really at all part of the team, but we're a part of the organization as well, you kind of can think back after a loss and say, ah, was that a bad loss or how do you feel about that? And I'm having a hard time thinking about the Bucks game and being overly disappointed, but then I'm also just kind of aw shucks about it because it could have been that seven-game winning streak and it could have been – 20 games over a 500, and then you go into the break with a two-game lead on those teams in fourth or fifth. I don't think the Pacers are going to challenge Milwaukee. They're not going to be at a point where the tiebreaker probably will come into play head-to-head against the Bucks. To me, it was just a game. It's not like a double loss in the standings as if when they play the Celtics or the Rap or the Sixers later this season. And even maybe Toronto, I mean, you could argue they've already lost the tiebreaker there and actually they're finished playing Toronto, so that won't matter. I think the fight right now for the Pacers is can you get to three, can you get to four, can you avoid five? I think that's pretty much it. And, you know, it was a loss and the other two teams below you won, so now it's one game. You you showed, though, I think, inside that locker room, you didn't play your best game, and you had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. In the previous four games, we saw Pacers' offense at its best. Four straight games above 50%, and you look last night, 42%. And I just I don't think this team plays good enough defense to be in every game. But if you look down and you see 42% from the field, you only get to the free throw line 15 times. Uh, 10 for 27 from three, I think, with this team, you'll probably take that most nights, but just not quite enough efficiency on offense to overcome a superhuman performance. So you take away, you've played the Bucks three times. The first time the Pacers played them, I thought they were amazing. The second time, I thought they were human. And a little bit of a mix of the two in the third time. I'm not saying I'm really looking forward to the fourth because of what I saw from Giannis, but I don't think the Pacers will go into that game and should they meet in the playoffs, they won't be intimidated and think, we can't compete with these guys. The All-Star break is a natural time for perspective and reflection. And I think for myself, each time I zoom a little bit further away from the picture, I get more and more positive about where things are. Right in the immediate scheme of losing on Wednesday night to Milwaukee, it's frustrating because you had a 10-point lead with nine minutes left. You were playing so well, and it kind of looked like a lot of those other games where Indiana goes on these massive runs at home. The crowd's going nuts. I mean, that stretch where Matthews pulled up and hit that three and then Bogdanovich right after, I mean, that was that to me was right on line with a playoff feel, and you do all these things to come back. And so... The next day, you know, talking to the guys in the locker room, you could definitely tell there was a level of frustration. You had the chance to extend that winning streak to seven. I think Thaddeus Young said, or Boyan Bogdanovich, I think uh, I saw somebody quoted him because we didn't get the chance to get him because he uh, he uses media screens even better sometimes than he uses screens on the floor. <laughs> and I, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I think Boyan's been fantastic with us this year. But the players have to be available in the media room. But if we're talking to Miles right out of uh, coming in there, then – 
he's able to get away if nobody else wants it. <laughs> and I, I so it, it, it's a little disappointing, I think, to ha- to lose a ten point lead. But then you you take a step back and you say, okay, you've won six out of seven going into the break, which after losing those first four out of Victor Oladipo seemed like a pretty tough feat to even think about at the time. And then you pull another step back and you go, you're thirty eight and twenty and in third in the East at the All-Star break. Would you have taken that at the beginning of the season? And I would have taken it before you finished the sentence. 18 games over 500 at this point in the season, 38 and 20. The Pacers never got to 18 games over 500 last season. And then you add in the qualifier. Uh, Victor Oladipo has played in 35, 36 of these 58 games. And pretty soon after the All-Star break, once we get into like early March, you're going to have played more of the season without him than with him. Then you feel even better about where you're at. And so I think it's kind of a mix of there's some frustration of losing the game to Milwaukee. There's some frustration of having an opportunity on the line and losing it. Let's also not forget how many opportunities the Pacers took advantage of during this last couple of weeks. And to be going it, I still think you take momentum into the break. I still think you take six out of seven. I think I always like asking Darren questions like this because some players, and I think I would be a player like this, 20 minutes after the game, don't ask me about big picture. Don't ask, I'm frustrated we just lost this game. But Darren always has really good perspective, and I asked about this on the post-game show on TV last night, and I just said, you know, I know 20 minutes after a game it's tough uh, to not think about the game and to not be frustrated, but you've taken six out of seven here going into the All-Star break. You had a lot of really positive moments against Milwaukee. You've survived the Victor Oladipo injury what's your thought process as you hit the break? And he agreed with all that. He said, you know, you said it exactly right about surviving Oladipo. We have played really well lately. And that's kind of refreshing to hear also because on one hand, you know, you like it when they've got a chip on their shoulder, and I'm not saying they don't. But also you like the fact that they can take a big-picture positive perspective into the break because I really do feel like they should head into this break feeling good about what they've done. Not, you know, rest on their laurels or anything, but – feeling good about what they've been able to accomplish because after losing those first four I don't think anyone would have predicted this I don't like radio shows that constantly read off of Twitter and make their show based on that but I did want to point out something that over the last couple of weeks we've seen Thaddeus Young someone who is very open and honest with us be even and more open and honest on social media and he's been putting a tweet out after every game and I've enjoyed reading some of those and then last night I stumbled across a reply and you know I'm not even sure necessarily how it was directed to him unless someone like well, I guess they did. So this is the Bucks Twitter account. The Bucks Reddit account, right? Or the Bucks, yeah. yeah, the Bucks, <laughs> not <laughs> the official Bucks Twitter, Bucks Reddit. Because I was curious why their title was NBA's consensus five seed. I don't even understand that. Like, well, see, they're they're saying they're. Uh, I think what they're doing, and I know this just kind of knowing the Pacers Reddit language. First of all, those two were at like a joking war last night. Like there was a meme war. Uh, unlike maybe any and other. So if you're listening to this and you don't even know what we're talking about, you don't right. even know what Reddit means. Pacers, Bucks, I apologize. Message boards. Yeah. Uh, we're talking fan bases. Um, and that wasn't a slight to Reddit. I understand. Pacers. Not everybody knows what it is. Right. I didn't even know what my it was. My parents like. <laughs> listening right now, I don't think don't they know, know what Reddit, Reddit is. is. But it's basically diehard that's not fans. A, that's not also, Dad, that's not a, a slight to you either. <laughs> Just clear all your pages. <laughs> it's it's diehard fan bases. I want basically. everyone to be happy and friends, and On so it's end. that apparently, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah, and so I think what they're saying is I think they're playing the lack of respect card. Like For the them. NBA also thinks that they're 
the Bucks seed. I think that's what they're saying. That's but what like, I thought, but I thought they were, maybe that was like a dig at the Pacers and they just were going to change it. I don't think so, but 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 I don't know. But I would guess Milwaukee feels, you know, smaller market. There's so much attention on <laughs> Philadelphia right now. There's so much attention on Boston. and This and podcast could get out of hand and, if we start going down this lack and, of respect. And Toronto. I, I, I'm not saying compared to the Pacers. I'm just saying <laughs> I think they probably feel like you don't see – you see a lot of Giannis, but you don't see, I guess – as much bucks as maybe the team with the best record in the NBA might like to think they have. But anyway, your point. So the tweet says, how'd that defense on Giannis work out for you, Young Smooth 21, which is of course is Thad Young. 33 points, 19 boards, and 11 assists. I guess you stopped him from going 40-20-10. If you're Thad 10 minutes, 20 minutes after a game, and you check your mentions and you see that, how do you react? Uh, see, I think Thad <laughs> is better at reacting. <laughs> Than I would, yeah. but uh, if you, I didn't have my best post game show and someone decides to come at me, I think I would probably give the uh, thanks, Bud. I appreciate you watching, but it would not be as nice. Here's what Thad says: yeah. No excuses. He played a great game. Tough cover. Three applause emojis. I'll have my chance again. And then the internet warrior turns into oh yes, I love <laughs> you, man. <laughs> and that was that was just the one Thad saw. I decided to go back to the NBA's consensus five seed Twitter account. <laughs> And all game long, they were pretty much dogging on them. We'll see if they've deleted any of them. Um... This is just how the NBA works, but there was a lot of discussion. And honestly, like... Okay, so I was told Thad Young is a Giannis stopper. Still waiting for this Giannis stopper I heard about. Okay, so, I mean, nothing too bad. And in fairness, you know... This is like the Pacers' uh, Miles' fan section getting on the opponent. So it's, it's okay. I'm not mad at you, Bucks fans. There are other Bucks things that I'm probably upset with that I'll keep to myself for the moment. But anyways, respect, man. You are a great team. I couldn't make it through a playoff series against you, says Bucks Reddit. Dad replies again. Thanks, man. Just staying the course and playing for each other each night, bringing our hard hats to work each night. And then there's a little bit of back and forth, and he responds to another fan. Thanks, respect. Uh, you know what? Props to you, Thad. I say that all the time. And that's kind of a nice representation to me of, of this franchise and this organization. I think there's a lot of respect for the Pacers from a lot of people that watch the games. As Roy Hibbert said, a lot of people don't watch us. A lot of people with loud megaphones in the media don't watch the Pacers. But I think that those that do watch a game, and sometimes maybe it's only when you play the Pacers like these Bucks fans, you realize how hard they work. Um, you know, what a kind of a nice chemistry and culture that they have. They still don't think that they're going to win a first-round series. Sure. But I think that there is a respect. But I did appreciate that kind of replying to that in the manner that he did when he could have been any – he could have done any number of things. And so I think that admits, you know, Giannis is amazing. He did the best he could. Maybe Giannis wasn't as dialed in the first time these two teams played at Banker's Life Fieldhouse, but he was certainly focused in – that's just one other point I wanted to add about that game. I didn't mean for this podcast to be a complete Bucks recap, but the second half, and this is what Eddie Gill told me when we were talking before the postgame show, they're playing this game like it's a playoff game. They understand they've got eight days off. In the second half, Giannis came out for like two minutes in the third quarter, then came right back in, and the fourth quarter came out for one defensive possession because he was so tired. He was actually becoming a defensive liability. Domas was taking him in the post, and it was advantage Domas. I mean, they were doing everything they could, and then they put in the wrinkle with that big lineup in the fourth quarter, which it was frustrating that it 
bottled up the Indiana offense so much, but it is something you saw now, and maybe you're prepared for it the next time it happens. So my takeaways from the game are could have, should have been a win. The Bucks had to exert all of their energy and effort and go into their bag of trips tricks. I'm going to say maybe they've thought about that matchup and that lineup, I guess, that bigger lineup. They didn't even really play Bledsoe much down the stretch. Because uh, I thought that maybe they were going to use that in the playoffs should they see the Pacers. They used it last night. So um, just some random thoughts that I have. Anything else with you before we move forward? No, I think that's a good point. One I actually hadn't considered, which is, you know, if you make Milwaukee show you something here that they had hoped to save for a playoff series, we don't know if the Pacers will be playing the Bucks, but you never know when something like that you know, you lose a battle here, but maybe it could help you win a more important battle or even a war later on when it really matters. And you're right, Bledsoe played under 21 minutes. I mean, that's pretty shocking for a guy that has been as good as he has and is as good as Many he thought has. of him as an all-star. Yeah. And, and Chris th- Middleton kind of got it. I think the Bucks were going to get two all-stars, and they got Middleton instead of Bledsoe. Yeah. And, you know, I <clears throat> I think from that perspective, there are some good takeaways and ultimately, I think you got to give a lot of credit to Milwaukee, too, because when things – I thought you saw two pretty tough-minded teams on Wednesday night. The first half, going into the half, honestly, when Indiana was down eight, my thought was down eight is not bad for how this has gone because it kind of felt like Milwaukee was kind of threatening and never really got that big run together. And then all of a sudden the Pacers – Come out in that second half. I thought Collison was so good at kind of setting the tempo, setting that pace. All of a sudden, Indiana's up 10. It's like, wow, like that that really takes some mental toughness against a team this good to respond this way. You're up, Milwaukee, down by 10 in with nine minutes left, and they responded as well. So I, I was impressed with both teams from that perspective, and ultimately Milwaukee got it done. And now, you know, you look at this stretch, and I think you asked for Twitter questions, and we can look at some of those here. But – you look at the stretch going for the rest of the season, 24 games, you're in third position. You don't have a huge gap on four and five, but both of those teams have to pass you for you to not have a home first-round playoff series. And, look, we know March really from March 7 until, like, March 30 or March 31 is going to be their biggest tet- uh, stretch of schedule, their biggest test of the season. But there's also a decent amount of games right out of this break where you alluded to in a group text you could take advantage of. You could build you know, some buffer between yourselves potentially in four or five there. And so, as, yeah, as I know a handful of these questions that came that you tweeted out asking for were about that March stretch. I think as, any, as much as anything, these, this first week and a half or so right out of the break will be key because if you do really well on it, then you give yourself some breathing room if things aren't going great during a stretch of March. We've been having a discussion on our group text with uh, the producers, Max Line 1, Ken Softman, and Kristen Arian. They're kind of saying, some of them, the same thing that all the fans say. Oh, March is going to be impossible. It's 11 very, very difficult games, and to me it's odd that it is such a challenging 11-game stretch with really, I believe right now, only one of the 11 games is against a team currently under 500. I believe that is either against the Knicks or the Bulls. We play, the Pacers play the other one of those before this stretch. But 10 of 11 are very difficult games the Pacers will be underdogs in or, you know, maybe it's a home game and it'll be very close in terms of who the experts think would win. But I still don't think you're going to go into that and just lose all of those games. So let's say you you win 5 of 11, which is, I think, very possible. Before that, if you could win 6 of 7, 7 of 9, I'm not sure how many are before that 11-game stretch starts, 
but you can create a little bit of buffer. And, you know, the Bucks have to play the Celtics. The Those teams that are in the top four, they have to play each other as well in this stretch. So I, there are people that will already say it's Pacers in fifth and either Celtics and Sixers three and four. That's fine. I, I'm not one of those people, and I still think this team has a lot to play for in terms of that three seed. And if they don't get the three seed, I think four is right there for them. I am not conceding any of that. Let's go to a couple of these questions. And first, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Born Ready 2 Pod. They're not going to win my contest with uh, my two free tickets only because multiple tweets, I should have said maybe that is uh, disqualifies you. And I feel like maybe they tried just a little too hard because they have like five different questions on three different tweets. <laughs> but with the quantity over quality, there are some good ones. Okay. Two part question here Wesley Matthews, Arrow, would you compare him more to Robin Hood or Cupid? Do I have to answer that? <laughs> Valentine's weekend, um, you've got to say Cupid. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to pass on the next one. If Quinn Buckner were a song, which song would he be and why? I mean, that is really abstract for me to think about on the day or two after, you know, I'm in the all-star break mode. Um, I got a couple more here. Will you both join us for Hooters night on March 24th after the game? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I guess it's a Born Ready 2. Pods Hooters night, I guess, yeah. in... That's a Sunday night after the game against the Nuggets. Are you in? I'm not going to commit to that on a podcast. Okay. But I'm, I'll consider it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I thought there were actually some legitimate questions from them. Michael Florence. <laughs> and I asked for creativity. So, yeah, you know, I'm not. what you asked for. Um, let's see here. Setting the pace. Our top three FS Indiana moments. Every Dan Burke interview. Love that. Quinn smothered chicken against the Lakers. Uh, I don't know. I'm not even sure how to pronounce his name. Is that bad? Oh, 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 yes. Was that the all-white suit game? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Andre. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's our Andre. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. Yes. For those who couldn't see, which is everybody listening. (laughs) Sorry for that long pause. Quinn the, and Chris discussing Andre's wardrobe. The full name. Andre, yeah. Who is the uh, Pacers team masseuse, masseuse? Who is well dressed at the home games. He's told me he dresses up for the home games, the road games. He's kind of. That one game, it might be the one he, he was he was wearing all white one Yeah, game. that's the one. Chris yeah. brought it up, but you wouldn't have known because you're doing the radio. But right. uh, Chris said, nice outfit for Andre. And Quinn says, really? <laughs> he kind of dogged on Andre a little bit. I don't know if that's gotten back to, uh, to Andre. We have the Fieldhouse Bat chiming in. Okay. We have plenty of wingspan now. Okay. A.J. Reese, given the Pacers' recent acquisition of Wesley Matthews along with the Fieldhouse Bat, do we really need wing, more wing depth? I guess that was the question, and the Bat has responded. Sir, I'm not, I'm not going in the right order here. <laughs> Jake G., the scary realization that the Pacers have a lot of free agent decisions to make in the very near future. I think this is a valid point, and during mm-hmm. the All-Star break, maybe a good time to discuss this, I think so many people outside the organization would have thought, you have all this cap space, you're going to have a completely different team next year. I, The way things are going right now, I don't feel that way. Yeah, it's it's hard to know because I think, you know, if Kevin Pritchard is able to make a major splash, if he wants to make a major splash in free agency or via a trade, then that has a domino effect potentially on that player's salary and how many guys you can bring back. He actually very quickly hit on this during his press conference shortly after the trade deadline saying, you know, we have a ton of 
cap room, which is great, but also, you know, we want good players too. And that's, you know, in a lot of ways more important to us than just cap space. So while they've remained very flexible, you know, they're not just the team that's going to say, we want as much money as, as what we can do with and then totally roll the dice in free agency. I do think my guess, gut, is that they look at Boyan Bogdanovich and say, I don't know, you know, losing that would be a big void. Losing with that East Young brings us a big void. And you never know. It's it's a case-by-case scenario. Like, I think it's really hard to say, is Thaddeus Young going to be back next year? My gut says yes. But what if, you know, X player becomes available at a similar position of Thad that takes up a lot of salary cap? I just don't know. And that's what's tough about going into these individual free agents and trying to figure out what's going to happen. I mean, you look at Darren Collison and you say, how could you want more out of what you brought him in? And you should keep writing that because he's been so vital to your team. Corey Joseph, I firmly believe, is one of the best defensive point guards in the NBA, let alone starters or backups, and you get him coming off the bench. There are a ton and a lot of decisions to be made once the offseason hits, and you fully understand, look, each year the team is going to look different, and all of those guys very likely are not going to be back. And so in a lot of ways, I'm sure this is a point of, you know, Kevin Pritchard maybe uses this a little bit as an audition. What do we see here down the stretch from some of these guys? And I, I, I'm pretty confident most of this contingent that has a contract up, Kevin Pritchard would like back. But in some ways that can be a fantasy world because – bringing them back and signing specific contracts. And, you know, you like X player, but if X player gets paid twice as much as what he's worth, then you don't really like X player think anymore. back to Jan Mahinmi. I think when he yeah, went into free example. agency, example. the yeah. Pacers would have been open to bringing Jan back. And I know selfishly we were kind of hoping for Jan to come back because he was one of our favorites and great with the media. Once he got the offer the Wizards presented him, you say thank you for Jan and congratulations and you know, you're always a part of the franchise, but just not right now. And that was an offer that I think people in Washington probably wish they had not been not given you on that much right. money. And so every player the Pacers have, they have a value. I'm sure there is some board or a list where they they have a range where they're willing to go to a certain level with particular player but they also have to keep in mind they're building an entire 15-man roster and everything is taken into account so um, good question there about the offseason but I think some of it will be determined by how this season finishes and also how some of these guys play in the playoffs because I do think there is something to be said for certain guys you know being really good regular season players and then being the kind of guy that can win you playoff series and this franchise has been to the playoffs a number of times in recent years, and it's been a while since they've had success. And I don't know which I'm not, I'm not even referencing any one particular player, but I think they definitely have a good regular season roster, and we'll see if they can put it all together at the right time. It'll be difficult without Victor Oladipo, something we shall see. Another good question comes in from my friend Mark Moore. Wesley Matthews' pickup will take time to fully evaluate, but immediate result is less time for Sumner and Holiday. Is this an issue? And I wanted to actually chime in on this topic because I was listening uh, yesterday or the day before to our friends at Locked On Pacers, and they got into a pretty heated debate about this same topic. Tony was on the side of it's only 25 games. These guys can, you know, nothing will be stunted development-wise, especially with Aaron Holiday at this season that, you know, you'll feel when he's 24, 25. And Adam said that, I mean, he was just kind of going off about signing Matthews because you were stunning the development of Aaron Holiday. I could not, in this case, 
um, agree with Tony more because you have a, an entire team full of guys that are ready to try to do something. Maybe they're not going to win a championship, and if it's if you are of the championship or bust mentality, then I guess we can't have a discussion because I just think there are steps to be made. And I think his point was valid. If Aaron Holiday could play meaningful minutes in a playoff series, it could help him down the road. It helped Miles Turner in his first season. But I think you also owe it to your franchise to improve the roster if you can. And I, I believe that somebody like Wesley, Wesley Matthews can teach something to those young guys, to Edmund Sumner, to Aaron Holiday. He's the kind of veteran presence that I think they can take something from watching him. And just because they're not now in the regular rotation, I think they kind of showed over the last couple of, week, couple of weeks that, you know, when the stakes are high right now, they might not be ready. They're not scared of the moment. They're kind of the fearless kind of players. But I don't see this being any detriment to them long term. And I also believe that they are a part of the Pacers' future. And, you know, I just I don't second guess that move or decision at all. And I don't I don't even see from either one of them, especially Edmund. I mean, he is, you know, happy to be here embracing this opportunity. I'm sure, Aaron, there may be some little part of him that wishes he was playing a little bit more. But would he rather be playing a little bit more on the Bulls right now or in this situation where he's playing some He's filling in if guys are injured, and he's a part of an experience of a winning team and culture. I think he'd choose this one. Bingo to that last point, because that's what I was going to make. If he was playing, it is would in most scenarios in the NBA, it would be he's playing Aaron Holiday, for example, because he's on a team like the Knicks or the Bulls that are out of it. And then while, sure, he's getting more playing time, how much developing is hap- is going on you know, in New York right now? I don't know. I wouldn't know because I'm not a coach. I'm not a player. I've never gone through that. And while I did sit here on this podcast a couple weeks ago and make the point, you know, hey, maybe if Aaron and Edmund are getting minutes here, then maybe that's a positive that you can take out of this Victor Oladipo thing. I don't disagree with that point, so I understand where uh, host number two is coming from in that regard also. But, I mean, let's think about this for a second. The Pacers just won six of their last seven and they they very well could have beaten Milwaukee. It's not like they got blown out of the building by Milwaukee. They led by 10 points in the second half, in the fourth quarter, against the team with the best record in the NBA and potentially the MVP. You're going to give up on that? And, and I'm not – that's too strong. Playing Aaron Holiday over West Matthews is not giving up. But you're not going to put everything you can into this. I mean, when Wes Matthews hit the buyout market, he got calls from Paul George and Russell Westbrook. He got calls from DeMar DeRozan and Greg Popovich. He got calls from all over the NBA. That's how valuable people viewed Wesley Matthews. The Pacers, in part, were able to get him because they had the spot open from Victor Oladipo's injury that other teams could not offer. And when you look at what a player like he can do, look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like the Pacers are the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. But you never know what's going to happen. The Pacers don't have to beat. This is something that I feel like some people don't consider. The Pacers don't have to beat 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Or 1, 2, 3, and 4, If even if you say they're 5. They don't have to beat those other four teams. Those other four teams are going to beat each other in some regard. Like, to make the Eastern Conference Finals, you don't have to beat Philadelphia and Boston and Toronto and Milwaukee. That's not how this works. So all it takes is... You know, what if you have a fluke situation happen? And, and look, I'm not saying I'm rooting for this by any means, but let me just give you a scenario. If you are, for example, the f- uh, let's say you are the three seed and uh, you play six-seeded Brooklyn and you win in the first round, and then you're in the second round, and what happens to Victor Oladipo 
crushingly happens to Kawhi Leonard. And then all of a sudden, you're at the doorstep of the Eastern Conference Finals, and I'm not even saying they can't make the Eastern Conference Finals without something like that happening, but you are so, in terms of the Eastern Conference, even without Oladipo, you're so much closer to the top than the bottom that I don't know why at this point, like there, I know I know he's not saying tank, but I, I don't understand why at this point you would start to you know, pander to the bottom versus the top when you're so much closer to to me that's that's really a no-brainer and don't get me wrong if if they can find out a way to get Aaron Holiday some minutes here I think it could be a good thing you know if if there's another injury for example and Holiday gets some minutes I'm not saying there's not value in that and I think Holiday has played overall pretty well he's been pretty streaky but I think those are valuable minutes Edmund Sumner, on the other hand, look, this guy only just got a full NBA contract a couple of days ago. I don't think he feels like he's owed anything. I think he's very happy to be here. I think he can grow from those minutes. And I'm really um, I'm really bullish on Edmund Sumner's future. But I'm not going to sit here and be like, Edmund Sumner should be playing for a playoff team right now. Because I, I don't think necessarily that that's the case yet in, in the development of Edmund Sumner's career. Good answer, Pat. Kenneth Jordan, with a detailed tweet, was on my top three list of best tweets to get the tickets. Not going to give him the tickets, but I did want to address it. So, so are you are you uh, announcing this these t- in a dramatic no, fashion and no. where the last one gets the tickets? The last one will get the tickets. Okay. What do you guys think goes into making a roster like the one we did with the addition of Matthews? He seems like a great locker room presence, a good defender, and a solid contributor. But what else goes into the process of signing a guy like that? Well, Nate McMillan was pretty clear after the Charlotte game in saying that the agreement was that he would start. And I think that's a little bit interesting. I'm almost surprised he would volunteer that information because that is something that's not in a contract necessarily, and it's nothing that had to be brought up. But I do think playing time was important for Wesley Matthews. And as he has said, he still sees himself as a starter in this league. And most of his entire career, he has been a starter. So you take that into consideration. But I think most importantly, in a February acquisition, it needs to be a fit from a chemistry perspective. And some could say that's not a big deal. We know what happened with Andrew Bynum, and I would even say Evan Turner, even though I wouldn't say Evan Turner's a bad guy. But I don't think he fit with the Pacers' locker room at that point. And I think that I can't imagine how Wesley Matthews doesn't fit. And if there was one thing maybe I thought this team needed, I saw during the four-game losing streak, and I might have mentioned it here, and I might have maybe brought it up somewhere else, is I thought they were just a little bit too even-keeled at times. And it did remind me a little bit of kind of the end of the Paul George era where they had a lot of nice guys, but they had no real um, pizzazz at times. And this team does have more than that, but I thought they were just kind of, you know, a lot of nice guys and maybe they needed a spark kind of player. And I think Wesley Matthews is one of those guys. You saw him get a technical against the Hornets and really show some aggression at different times and enthusiasm. And I think that's contagious. I saw more enthusiasm and hustle from Tyreek Evans the last two games than I think I had seen up to this point this season. Maybe part of that's from Wesley Matthews coming in, maybe taking a little bit of his playing time. But I also think, you know, another guy that plays like that, you see how he's playing, you want to play that way as well. So I think those are some of the things that you consider. Uh, Just a quick thought. I mean, Wesley Matthews' shooting percentage has not been great in these two games. The intangibles, I think, are good, and I think he can only improve his scoring and contributions on the offensive end once he learns the offense better. A couple of very simple points here to add to what you just said. I think a lot of this equation with Wesley Matthews is pretty simple. Can we offer him a starting spot? Yes. Can any other playoff team? No. 
Is offering him a starting spot important to where he decides? Yes. Then that equation to me is simple because Tyreek Evans, who has been starting and done, I, I think, an all right job there, can very easily go back to that bench role. So for me, um, that equation is pretty simple. If the difference between getting Wesley Matthews and not getting Wesley Matthews is starting him, he started in Dallas. He started a lot of his career. He fits that mold pretty well. He's a good defender. To me, that's a no-brainer, and I think a big advantage the Pacers had in this scenario. The other thing is when you're bringing in a player, and you referenced a couple of other trades that have happened that maybe didn't work out from a chemistry perspective, I think that's something that's very important to the front office right now. Do you get better? This is a a separate two-part question. Now you've got Wesley Matthews wanting to come here. You, You look at it from your own perspective. Do you get better on the floor? The answer is yes. Does he sacrifice anything in the locker room? The answer to that uh, is no. And then if you get a yes and a no there, then to me that's a pretty simple flow chart. You bring him on without even thinking about it. If this was Wesley Matthews, but like with the personality of Nick Young or something, then you say, okay, at this point we probably don't feel comfortable doing that because making a trade at the deadline or in this case a buyout signing – is so different because that player has such little time to mesh. I think if you have an off-season guy where you say, this guy's really talented and we kind of think that he's going to fit into this locker room and that we can make you know, this aspect of it work, I think you have the leeway to do that in the free agent market during the off-season or the trade market during the off-season because you've got a lot of time to try to make it work, and if it doesn't, you've got time to make a trade. When you're making a trade at the deadline, it has to be somebody you're confident can come in and not disrupt anything. And while Trevor Booker never made a major on-court presence last year, he came in and offered no issues to the Pacers' continuity in their locker room. And so I look at those two things, Matthews, the starting perspective of it, and then also bringing a player in at this point in the season you don't want to make major waves because you're at the time what 15 games over 500 or whatever they were but if you can bring in someone that you're confident is going to make you better and isn't going to make waves then to me that's a no-brainer and kudos uh, to the front office for pulling it off and kudos to Wesley Matthews for how he's carried himself in this week here I've heard comparisons to Thaddeus Young and I heard Kevin Pritchard make a comment about David West and I think David West is an interesting one they don't play the same position Um, But I do think from a media perspective, David would give you good material. But if you didn't ask a good question, then he would kind of give it right back to you. And I've actually seen that a little bit from Wesley Matthews in that he's not just going to talk for two or three minutes to a question that may not be good. But if you ask him a good question, you'll get a good answer. And if you don't, you're kind of got to be on your toes a little bit around Wesley Matthews. And I think maybe that's the same with the players as well. Two more to go. The second or this tweet comes from Big Nick, and this is not a runner-up, but this fits with my champion tweet. So Big Nick says, ideal first-round matchup for Pacers if they end up with the five seed. No issues, Nick. I get it. This is a common uh, refrain, though, I think, from some of the national folks that I maybe get tired of is that you automatically can assume the Pacers are the five seed. But if they are the five seed, I could you could probably say this as well if they're the four seed, right? Who's the best matchup? Right. Um, <laughs> Who would you rather play in that 4-5 okay, game? Let me, let me ask you this. Are we opening up, and I'm not sure this changes my answer, are we opening up the other all four teams, or are we saying at this point it's pretty unlikely it's going to be if you're the five, Milwaukee is or I, Toronto? I'm willing five. to open it up to Toronto. I am not okay. I'm not of the belief the Bucks fall below three. I asked that, and I don't think it would change my answer because I still think I'm looking at Philadelphia and Boston and trying to figure that out. And ultimately, I, I might – 
I might want to change this answer by the end of the year, but I'm leaning Philadelphia just because, on one hand, Philadelphia might have the most talented starting five of anybody in, in the Eastern Conference and maybe anybody not named Golden State. But there is the aspect of a lot is changing there, and they'll have some time to you know try to smooth that over. And I think Tobias Harris is a guy that you can bring in, and it's much of a less of a rough move than a Jimmy Butler, for example, because Tobias isn't somebody that needs to be on the ball as much. But there's a lot to figure out there. Somebody made a really good point about Golden State and having four-star players and why it works in Golden State. It works because Draymond Green couldn't care less about shooting the ball in this iteration of their team. And because Klay Thompson couldn't care less about dribbling the ball. And Steph and Durant are the clear one and one A's, and Clay and Dre are cool with that. Philadelphia has, and you can make the case that Golden State has two ball-dominant guys, Philadelphia has three. Embiid, Simmons, and, uh, and Butler are ball-dominant guys. Tobias isn't necessarily that, but like he still needs to touch the ball. That's a lot to go around, and it's a lot to figure out, and it's a lot to sacrifice. And then ultimately, while I think Simmons is a great player, and I think he's a multi-time all-star in this league, I'm not sure yet they've exactly figured out that formula to winning in the playoffs. I think when you saw games get close last year, Philadelphia became a little bit iffy because Simmons can't really shoot. And, you know, Embiid's taking a lot of threes against Boston when you want him, you know, more down in the post. He's maybe a little bit like Giannis in that way, even though they're kind of different players. And I don't know. While there's a lot of unsettled things in Boston, and maybe it's a – I'm taking the team whose best player saying I don't know anybody anything beyond this year. Their second best player is like 21 years old and still figuring it out. Maybe those are the bigger red flags. Right now I'm going to lean Philly. I'm going to agree with you. I think that Philly, the uh, other variable to me is that I think when they lose a game, it, it maybe it's similar to Boston, though. It's like the world is crashing down on them. And I think if you can get a game from them, then you feel like, oh, they're going to start second-guessing themselves. Jimmy Butler, to me, is a uh, he's a lightning rod right now. I don't know what to think of him and how he fits with that team, and is he going to be happy with enough shots? And so I, I think those variables, and I also think Philadelphia turns the ball over, and the Pacers succeed when they create turnovers, they get points off of turnovers, they get easy offense. Because they turn the ball over, I give them a fighter's chance in that series against Philadelphia. Toronto would be the one I'd be curious about when the season started. I would have thought they are the favorite in the East and the team that I'd be most scared of, especially the first time I saw them play. I'm a little confused right now with all the moves they made despite the success they were having. And what is Kyle Lowry's buy-in right now? He, He seems kind of grumpy, kind of moody at times. Is he okay with the organization? I know he wants to win and this is a great opportunity. But I think they rely a lot on a guy like Danny Green to provide leadership, and he just got there as well. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with them, and I also don't know about Boston. Pacers get in that 4-5 game. I'm going to give them a better chance, no, no surprise, than many will. Our winning tweet. It's a very simple one, and I'm guessing when Timbo Slice posted, he didn't think this would necessarily be the winning tweet. But hear me out, Pat. Okay. He says... If the Pacers win a second-round playoff series, who will have elevated their game and why? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's that's next-level thinking. Who is thinking about the Pacers going to the Eastern Conference Finals right now? Thimbo. 
<laughs> whatever you said his name was. <laughs> yes, but the fact is, it's possible. It, sure. I just listened to 40 minutes, and I listened to part of it on the way home last night and then part of it on the way downtown today. And I'm not trying to disparage anyone, but I don't understand how you could do this and think you are being not losing a little bit of credibility. So it's Bill Simmons' podcast, and I will admit I probably listened to his podcast too much. I, I'm uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> and this is with Kevin O'Connor, who I think does a pretty solid job staying aware of NBA topics. They talked for 45 minutes, I believe, on specifically, not on the NBA, specifically on the Eastern Conference top four chase. And I could be wrong. I may have to go back and listen. Actually, I'm not going to listen again because it frustrated me. I don't even think they mentioned the Pacers even in a, yeah, it's too bad Victor Oladipo got hurt like everyone else does. They did not even say their name one time. <laughs> now, of course, with with Simmons, you're going to get 25 minutes of Boston talk. Right. And Kevin O'Connor, I believe, is from that area as well. They did not even say, you know, sorry about the Pacers or, you know, at least there'll be a tough matchup in the 4-5 game. In fact, Simmons went on to say that his fear is that the Celtics lose a 4-5 series to the Nets. And then he talked about the Nets for five minutes. See, that's absurd. They never even said their name in 45 <laughs> minutes. What, what kind of math degree do you need to understand And I believe the they Nets did this before the loss to the Bucks. So at the point you're having this discussion, the team that you completely just ignore altogether had won six consecutive games, had the longest winning streak in the NBA, and had a two-game lead on the fourth and fifth place teams, Philadelphia and Boston, that you spent 30 minutes talking about. And I get it. Like, I understand. They have superstars on all the rosters of those other four teams. And, sure, the Pacers are probably fifth in the hierarchy, the pecking order, whatever. But the absolute ignorance of people to just even consider the Pacers, I don't understand. It, yeah, and it's, it's one thing, you know, to say what you said. Okay, well, this was a five and now it's a four because Victor isn't there. That's one level of it. Uh, you just really got me stuck with the Brooklyn comment, though, because that's insane. Like, hi, math here. Um, Brooklyn is, uh, what are they here? They are eight and a half games behind the Pacers. Uh, if Indiana goes 500 the rest of the way, I think Brooklyn like can't lose again or something like that. Brooklyn, by the way, we're not talking about Milwaukee can't lose again. We're talking about a team that, while they have had a nice year and I think deserve the sixth spot, and I kind of hope they're the sixth spot because they've been fun to watch, we're talking about a team that loses every other time they play. They're 30-29. and 29. Uh, The Pacers are going to clinch. I am willing to say this. The Pacers are going to clinch a top five seed by the end of March. I'm confident in that just because and I, I'm not. that's not, to me, any grandiose statement. That is math. The Pacers are five and a half behind Milwaukee, and Brooklyn is 14 behind Milwaukee. And it's, also, it's almost like some of these people see, oh, Brooklyn is the fun story this year, and they've had the nice rise as of late. Karis LeVert got hurt. Dinwiddie got hurt. Russell stepped up. All of a sudden, Brooklyn is winning more than we expected. But, like, math is still a thing. The Pacers are still eight and a half games ahead of Brooklyn. I mean, it's just insanity. Brooklyn is not going to be top five, and I'm so confident that I'll say this right now, and if anyone wants to record it and try, and try to play it back later, Brooklyn will not be top five. 
And that won't be a Pat Boylan announcer jinx. No. It's almost Con- impossible. Context matters. And the impossible. reason I think Simmons said it, because everything relates back to Boston, and he said that would be the worst way for the season to end, and it related back to the draft picks with the Nets and the Celtics, blah, blah, blah. But they still proceeded to talk about the Nets for the next five minutes. And I don't believe the word pacers came out of their mouth in 45 minutes. And this wasn't just who's going to win the East. I mean, they went into just breakdowns, and it was just um, – I just decided All-Star Weekend, I'm going to just kind of stay away from Twitter, I think, a little bit. And I did post some tweets the other day where people were predicting the semifinal matchups. And I guess I needed just, I just needed to vent a little bit to you, the listener of the Sideline Guys podcast. And I appreciate all the support because a few people that I called out in the last couple of days, and I knew, okay, if the Pacers lose to the Bucks, then it'll, it can come back. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I, I if the Pacers lose their next three games, they're worthy of being discussed as a top Eastern Conference team. And the fact that they won six in a row and they destroyed the Lakers and Clippers who went on to beat the Celtics, each of them, the next two games. Yeah. And the Pacers, this is a final thought on this. The Pacers beat the Lakers and the story is they're going through drama. The Celtics beat the Lakers or the uh, Lakers beat the Celtics and whatever. It's right. like the Lakers are good again. And then right. uh, the Sixers. The Sixers beat the Lakers. That's what it was. And, oh, they're going to win the title now. <laughs> well, the Pacers beat the Lakers by 42, and it was just because LeBron was trying to trade his guys. But because the Sixers beat the Lakers on national TV, it was a sign they're going to win the title. Like, it just I'm, – I'm staying away. You want to answer the question? The question is, <laughs> who, would, who will have stepped up his game the most if the Pacers are to advance to the finals, win a second-round playoff series? I'm not saying you're wrong if you don't think this, but to me, one player immediately jumps out from this, and it's Miles Turner. And I just think he has played, you know, his shot struggled a little bit against Milwaukee, but in general, I thought he got really good looks. He and the pick and pop is such a weapon because that pick happens inside the three point line. And. It's somebody darting off of it towards the rim, and where most pick and pops kind of go uh, diagonal with um, the, the guy screening, Turner steps back. So then all of a sudden these two guys have to go in opposite directions coming off the screen, and they really have to decide. And if you want to switch, okay, you want to switch Darren Collison's man onto Miles. It doesn't even matter if he's guarding him because Miles is a foot taller. I think there's real opportunity here for Turner the rest of the way. I think for the most part he has taken advantage of that so far. Had an off shooting night against Milwaukee, but I think I think Miles Turner is really getting comfortable with his role, with what he can do, even with some of the um, off the court stuff. Like he's been, he's stepped in to Victor. Ol- I'm not sure how much this matters, but it, it at least mattered to me, and I thought at least I noted it. Victor has always been our immediate availability in the locker room when we walk off it, and a lot of uh, when we get into the locker room. Some of that I think you know is is. David Benner is saying, hey, we, they, we know they need one guy available, and we know that Victor's that guy. So when David Benner comes, you know, to Miles and he says, hey, can you be that guy now? It's almost like, you know, passing the torch, saying you are this important. And Miles has not only been available for us each and every game since Victor has gone down right in that position, but he's been pretty good in those interviews. And I'm not necessarily saying interviews correlate to play on the floor, but I think I'm just noticing a general different level of confidence from him, and I'm not saying it needed turn or needed Oladipo to get hurt for him to do that because he had a really nice stretch this year with Oladipo in there. But I just I really feel like Turner's starting to hit a confidence level on the offensive end that maybe he hasn't been at, and from the defensive end, like I think it's safe to say he's already there. He's the NBA blocks leader. Depending on if Anthony Davis 
doesn't end up playing 58 games, this block race is almost over because Whiteside is like .6 blocks away from him, which is a boatload in terms of trying to catch somebody for blocks per game. So that's who I'm looking at. That It's the answer to that question, but to me it's the answer to one specific player and where do the Pacers go the rest of the year anyway. I have a different player only because the question is phrased who steps their game up the most, and I feel like Miles has already done that, and I'm not necessarily sure, you know, in this system with this current situation, how much better from an offensive perspective, you know, I don't have his averages in front of me, but I I think that he continues to play the way he's playing, impacting the game defensively, hitting shots on the outside, getting some rebounds. That's good for this team. I'm going to say Wesley Matthews only because I think people think of him coming in here and he's starting at the two guard and he's going to play good defense. But he's kind of a high-volume shooter. So let's say he, instead of the 12 or 13 I think he's averaging this season, let's say he pushes that to 18 to 20. That's the kind of step up that I think the team doesn't necessarily need. But opponents are going to start making it a lot more difficult on Boyan Bogdanovich. I mean, he's on an incredible streak of 20-point games, now 6 of 7, I believe. And he was the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And all along... You kind of needed this from Boyan when Victor was on the court just to have that other secondary go-to scorer. And if Boyan's the go-to scorer now, you got to have a little bit more on the wing. And I think Wesley Matthews, even in a playoff series, I'm not saying the entire two-month rest of the regular season, but let's say they, they're in a second-round playoff series, and in two or, two or three of the games you get 20-point games out of Wesley Matthews and hard-nosed defense, that would, that would be an answer to the question from Timbo about who would step their game up most. But... I'm just impressed with thinking big picture, having just a little bit of optimism. It's good every once in a while to think about what is possible. It is still very much possible. And shout out to Timbo. I'll reach out with you to you on Twitter, and we will come up with a game. But I, I appreciate everyone chiming in. And Pat has kind of casually committed to Hooters Night with the Born <laughs> Ready 2 crew. That's what you call in the <laughs> college football, college basketball recruiting world, a soft commit. <laughs> That is a yeah. Follow back up in mid March. Yeah, Um, and I do apologize. I I think we're probably going to wrap this up. We didn't get to a pick three again today, and that was kind of a staple of some of our podcasts. What about like uh, quickly pick a couple things you're looking forward to in the All Star break, just from a personal perspective? Because the schedule right after the break is really uh, intense, and you know these first fifty eight or whatever, they're a blast. But you know, I think you do hit a point, and you travel, I don't. But still, it's a it can be a lot of hours. What are you looking forward to doing? I don't know if we have to pick three, but what are you looking forward to doing here over the All Star break? Sunday night, Saturday night, watching the All Star festivities It's an easy one. My son really gets into it, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I wish there was a Pacer representation. Not going to go on another diatribe here. I do think they should have had someone invited. <laughs> We're at an hour. <laughs> Which, by uh, the way, the, according to Weed Hotchkiss Statistical Services, the Pacers are the only team without somebody there. But I also pointed out, like, if you take away other teams' best players, mm-hmm. how many do they have? And he didn't tell me. He just. I think you could have easily invited Boyan to the three-point shootout. I believe he would have accepted that invitation, and I believe Miles would have been a logical choice for the skills challenge, considering you have four guards or guard wings and then four front court players. And so he would have been a great choice. And I think Miles really, if he starts this surge in mid-November instead of kind of early to mid-December, he's actually maybe an all-star. I mean, he's playing so well. I think right now. 
he's an all-star the way he is playing. But um, I'm looking forward to watching the games, and then I'm also looking forward to watching some fourth-grade Zionsville basketball, four games on the agenda, assuming they can win on Sunday. So I'll see two games at Grand Park, Pacers Athletic Center on Saturday, and then a couple of Indy Hoops tournament games should they win their first game on Sunday. So I miss a lot of games. That's unfortunate, and uh, I, I try to stay in touch, but uh, my son Preston's had a great season, or the team has had a great season, and I've enjoyed watching when I can, so that'll be my weekend, more basketball. Yeah, there you go, and we have Pacers Weekly still coming up What are you up looking forward to? This is really lame, but I'm kind of looking forward to not setting the alarm for a few days. I mean, not that I, I don't really have an early alarm, but also, like, I really struggle to get to sleep in general, so, like, on a game night, I, my brain just doesn't turn off sometimes until 2 or 3, and then... Uh, that alarm that for most people is probably later than you have to wake up. Uh, it, it's still sometimes the lack of sleep catches up to me in that regard. I, I'm looking forward to that and uh, and and Pacers Weekly on Saturday. Because, <laughs> Such because, a company guy. Because, because you know, we that sometimes well, if we have a game on a Sunday and a Friday, uh, then Pacers Weekly is the one day without – or Saturday is the one day without a game, but then there's Pacers Weekly that day too, which avoids the non-setting of the alarm. So, yeah, Pacers Weekly on Saturday, and then we have a handful of days. I'll be checking in in the office. I think Mark Monteith and I might shoot a web show and – um, you know, part of this is wanting to get some content out for this stretch of time when there's no coverage. But it, it'll be nice, I, I think, to exhale. I think you agree with this, um, and, and you have it at a greater extent with, uh, you know, family and kids and, and all of the travel. But it, it never, to me, feels like work. But every once in a while, you do get to a point where it's like, whoa, we've been, we've been sprinting for a while here, and the sprinting is fun. But, like, sometimes you don't realize it until you have a couple of days off. So, so that'll be nice, and then uh, better get energized because that schedule right out, it's like uh, six out of eight or something crazy like that, right out of, well, it's not that, that wouldn't work, but at least five out of seven, um, I think, right out of the breaks. So. Yeah, and a final note of the stretch the Pacers just concluded, it was, a, it was a pretty jam-packed 15 days, nine games in 15 days, which is probably about as many as you can have. There were never two consecutive days off. There were two back-to-backs thrown in there, and you could have given the Pacers a pass if they were tired or maybe had that all-star break. Um, thinking in their head and, and not played their best game on Wednesday. I give them credit for playing hard. I give the Bucks credit for playing hard. They didn't start their break early. They had to fight for that win. They got the win, and the Pacers hope to see them again. We hope to chat with you again soon. Pat, thanks for uh, doing this, and enjoy uh, your weekend. I guess I'll talk to you on Pacers Weekly. All right, sounds good. He's Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boyd, and we'll talk to you on the next Sideline Guys podcast.